This is www.silenceofthechatterbox.com's second blog post recording. We're off to see the wizard, and by wizard I mean consultant. I had the consultant's letter hanging on my fridge. That's where all the important items get posted, right? I knew it was sometime in October, and in my complete naivety just assumed I'd go in, we'd have a chat, and then I'd be waiting for an appointment to get a scope done. How wrong was I? The week of the appointment came, and I had a work meeting on the same day, but thankfully rescheduled the appointment. I'm only mentioning this because I was sure I'd be told all was grand, he'd have a look at a later stage, and in the meantime, I'd have exercises to get on with. But no. The 6th of October came, I had the meeting in the morning, which was a welcome distraction, and off I headed to the Hermitage for my appointment that afternoon. The meeting was work, but it was with two friends. They distracted me that morning and helped me process the whole situation that afternoon. The waiting game. In the waiting room, I tried to take a sneaky photo of the giant ear and nose sculpture on the wall because you never know when you could need content for Instagram. The photo was rubbish, but I'll share it here so it wasn't a wasted snap. I also sat and timed how long each patient was spending with the consultant. This was my way of figuring out if there would be enough time for him to do a scope in his office. The two people before me were in and out in no time. Grand, I thought. No need to worry about a camera being shoved up my nose. That would be another day and I'd have plenty of time to talk myself around to that procedure. And with that, it was my turn to go in. The full scope of the problem revealed. He was warm and he listened. He asked me to explain my problem in my own words and he didn't interrupt. He took notes and asked questions when I'd finished. When I discussed the singing lessons, he was concerned. He said, there are a lot of people out there who will take your money and although do not mean to, are causing harm to voices. I agreed, but I tried to explain that this was a friend and a colleague. I've yet to tell him that she was so concerned that she suggested I go and see the ENT consultant. And I will say it to him. But the next hour in his office was fast and very overwhelming that all I could do was try and absorb what he was saying. The sniper. He asked me to move chairs and he opened a long wooden box. The box was ominous. If we were in a movie, he'd be removing a sniper rifle. That's what the box looked like. I'm just going to take a look, he said, as he removed a rather long black instrument and screwed the components together. <laughs> That's what I was afraid of. I replied while tightening my grip on the arms of the chair. He told me the worst part was the taste of the spray that he'd used to numb the nose and that it wouldn't hurt. I gave him that, of course you'd say that, look, to which he replied, I can say that because I've had it done myself before. I trusted him and although he didn't say it, in my mind, he had endured this procedure before just so he could say this to patients and I thought that was admirable. For the record, the spray is not very nice and the scope didn't hurt one bit. He'd finished and as I returned to my seat at his desk, he washed his hands and said, there's nothing sinister in there. I smiled, delighted that this wasn't too serious and I would probably be on my way with a few vocal exercises until you have a cyst on your right vocal cord, he said as he put the tissue he used to dry his hands in the bin, snap. After that, he drew pictures and explained the problem. The voice in my head was saying, take this in, remember it all, come on, focus. It was repeating this so loud internally that it was drowning out the consultant. Seeing the panic on my face, he told me not to look so worried. He said that in usual circumstances, he'd refer me to Beaumont and have internal photos taken to see what exactly he was dealing with. But the machine for that was broken and the hospital appeared to have no intention of replacing it. 
The Irish healthcare system strikes again. What was the plan of action? He explained that he would have to operate, go in, have a look, and if it was what he'd expected, he'd remove it. But if it was not as straightforward, he'd come back out and we'd have a chat about the next step. But we continued to talk as if it was all going to be as he had imagined. He's been doing this thing a while, so I'm trusting he's right. He explained he understood how important my voice is for work, and if I was not an actor slash voiceover artist, then he'd leave it, but given my livelihood depends on it, he would remove it sooner rather than later. I haven't had my full voice since April, so I was very much in agreement with him. He said he would not operate until I saw a speech and language therapist to see if I had any bad habits vocally that potentially could cause the return of the cyst after he removes it. That is a whole other post for another time. He told me he would go in, make a small incision, remove the cyst, and I would have to go on complete vocal rest for two weeks. I laughed and I said that was impossible. His response, you're not in your 20s, it should be fine. I'm still trying to figure out what he means by that. I kissed the Blarney Stone when I was a kid and I literally have not stopped talking ever since. I love nothing more than to chat. When I realised I could make a living from talking, I was in my element. Thank you, Deborah Pierce, for that light bulb moment. Anyway, bottom line. Operation will be soon. No big gigs for a few weeks after. No talking for two weeks. No coughing. No clearing my throat. No singing. No gigs. No teaching. And a visit to a speech and language therapist to start the whole process. Any questions? How long have you got? I had loads of questions. I'll just give you the highlights here. I asked if there is any chance my voice will change. This is actually a popular question to me when I tell people about the operation, which didn't rattle me until my voice agent asked it. My husky type quality is a selling point. The consultant said that he's not touching my voice box so there should be no change. What caused the cyst? He can't say. But the hairspray and varnish are things that likely aggravate it and are not the cause of it. Is there a possibility I will wake up with no voice? His reply, Ireland is the only country in the world where you ask a question with the answer you don't want to hear. I laughed, but I wanted the answer to the question pretty quickly, no matter how I put it to him. The biggest risk for surgery is damage to your front teeth. I've never caused any damage to any patient yet, and I don't intend to start with you. He kept saying he will be very conservative in his approach. He assured me that he has worked on voices, I'd recognise and ones I wouldn't. He told me about his mentors and the incredible people that he had worked with. We discussed Julie Andrews and her new consultant, not the one who stripped her vocal cords and rendered her unable to sing, the one who's helping her navigate that. He assured me I was in safe hands and that he understood the importance of my voice. And as he walked me out to his secretary, he told her I was to be booked in as soon as possible. That's when things started to get very real. Terms and conditions apply. I'll be silenced for two weeks. So I need to get all my talking out now. Visit www.silenceofthechatterbox.com for more information.